0: Standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, See if he's breathing.
2: Uh, Well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be? Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no
0: further questions, you're dismissed.
2: Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Prime Time with Sean Mooney. We're coming off uh, uh, an interview with Bill DeMott, which, uh, you know, he's kind of a controversial figure when you talk about training and how... Uh, people are trained these days in professional wrestling. He's definitely old school, kind of had that drill sergeant reputation. But uh, in his mind, that's, you know, you had to earn it. And uh, just really interesting uh, talk with him also about his career. And then also his big message today, uh, he lost uh, uh, one of his family members to a drunk driver. And that that is, uh, you know, uh, certainly hard enough for someone to uh, have to deal with in life. But uh, he's trying to, uh, you know, get as much positive out of as as he can, and he's trying to make uh, people more aware so that uh, other families don't have to go through the incredible grief that he obviously must experience every day of his life. And uh, I really want to thank Bill for coming on. I I've uh, never had a chance really to meet him. Uh, he told me that uh, that we almost met in Stanford one time when he was there, and I was uh, it was the place that everybody, this watering hole, as we call it that uh, everybody used to hang out and I guess I was coming out, he was going in, but we never really had a chance to meet, but I, I would love to uh, run into him someday and uh, we'd still have a lot to talk about, but I really enjoyed my conversation with him this week. Uh, another great one on the way. And this, it was a, an episode. It took a long time to get it together. Not that uh, Bobby didn't want to do it just, uh, you know, getting it all uh, uh, straightened out to where we could actually get on, uh, on the lines together. And uh, I bet I met Bobby, uh, a long time ago, you know, a few years back when I was doing some, uh, did a, an appearance, and uh, it was that, that trip that I took, and uh, with, I spent a lot of time with Brutus, uh, now the WWE Hall of Famer, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, but it was just a crazy-ass weekend, I don't know how else to describe it, and we had three different stops, and we ended up in Staten Island for this just wild event there, and Scott Hall was there, and he almost got into it with King Kong Bundy, uh, rest his soul, and, uh, it was just a, a really wild, wild, uh, trip. And, uh, the next morning we're at this place and we we're supposed to do this appearance. I think it was in Allentown where we were. And, uh, they were all staying at this hotel too. And we were all having breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I got to meet Bobby, but, uh, and, uh, so we even talked then I said, you know, we, I'd love to have you on the podcast sometime. And then I ran into him. I think he was at WrestleMania and, uh, Finally, we got it together. But what he, what a fascinating guy! And you look at him now, and I'm not saying you know that uh, you know that he's different, but he really is. I mean, we think he was a member of the Fantastics, and they were just this you know dreamboat team, tag team, and uh, you know things change. We all change, and uh, you know Bobby is just. Fascinating guy. Not only is he fantastic, he's fascinating, and just hearing his stories about what went on, and then some of the matches that he had with the sheep herders. Which guys, if uh, yeah, I know you know the uh, the bushwhackers, but when they were the sheep herders, they were this nasty, nasty tag team. And and uh, Bobby talks about how they helped put them over. I mean, and, and get an even bigger audience. So you're going to hear all that coming up. But uh, really, really awesome. So what do you say? We get to this week's episode with Bobby Fulton. Take a listen. Ding, ding, ding. Well, folks, you know, many WWF fans, and I'm going to refer to it uh, in the WWF version, not WWE, you remember tag teams like the Rockers, you know, that incredible high-flying tag team, Uh, others like the Killer Bees, Strike Force, but one tag team that were among those who paved the way for those tag teams I just mentioned to take off in the ring were the Fantastics, the tag team that included Tommy Rogers and our guest this week on Prime Time with Sean Mooney, Bobby Fulton. Bobby, welcome. How are you?
0: Hey, thank you very much. You know, uh, I really appreciate the kind words you said there because you put us in the company of some great tag teams, and I look forward to being a part of your uh, program here.
2: Well, you know, Bobby, it really is true, though. That, I mean, uh, you know, back in the day, as we always refer to it, when, uh, you know, uh, old school, however, however you want to talk about it, but you know, you had uh, a lot of brawlers that, uh, were in the ring and, uh, for, you know, people to be what they call high flyers, you guys were kind of ahead of your time and you were also not these guys that were big in stature. I think, uh, honestly, you were about five, nine, uh, you certainly, uh, built yourself up, right. but, but you weren't really, you know, someone you would think at that point in time in the history of professional wrestling is somebody who would be in the ring. Sure,
0: sure, But you got to also think, too, at the same time. Yeah, you're right. We Most of the guys we faced was always uh, bigger than us, taller than us, yeah. as far as that goes. Uh, that's why I think that Tommy and I, we excelled so well as a tag team. And why I'm saying it is, Sean, we never looked at each other as individuals, but we mm-hmm. looked at, it, at each other as a tag team member in a unit. Therefore, everything that we did in the match was – Tag team related, you know, it wasn't the ideal that I was going out there saying, hey, I got to do something to make Bobby Fulton look great. And Tommy Rogers was the same thing. But what can we do to excite the fans to make them remember the Fantastics?
2: Yeah. And, and uh, I think that you're also innovators uh, at that time because, sure, they had tag teams, but. Mostly, what you'd see it was two guys who were basically singles wrestlers who would go in and do their, you know, uh, do some work, and then they come over and tag or and. and, But you guys were, um, you know, among the first really that you know had that timing. uh, You worked together. It was when you did moves. It it was it was a team effort, really. And uh, you talk about excitement. What it must have been like at that time uh, when you were doing this stuff in front of crowds who had never seen this style of wrestling.
0: Well, you you, you know, you brought up a good point. They had never seen that style of wrestling. They had seen more of the mat wrestling uh, come the beginning of the 80s. It was more of the mat style of wrestling. Even for the folks up in the WWWF, it was a real slow, big man pace of wrestling there uh, and everything. So the people were really captivated. Like you said, we were trying to think of things that hadn't been done. That, like I said, would that would excite the crowd, but also at the same time, Tommy and I could utilize it as a tag team, to where we weren't as big in stature as our opponents yeah. and a lot of the wrestlers. We could go in there and stand tall among them and take the fight to them as well. I mean, I think about uh, you know uh, the Ultimate Warrior and Sting when they very first started in professional wrestling. They came to Memphis their first opponents was Tommy and I. And Mm -hmm. uh, of course we know the legacy that they've left in professional wrestling and stuff like that. We faced teams like the midnight express who was like us in a way. And what I'm saying was, was that fast paced style of wrestling. But then later on we were in matches against a team that, that the WWE knew, the WWF knew better as the bushwhackers, but they were the sheep herders and they were one of the most vicious, Tag teams and professional wrestling. And in those matches, we weren't doing any flying, really. We were just fighting for our lives. And Sean, at that point, as when before, we'd always had the girls, the the girls liked us. But okay. once we got into the matches with the sheepherders, the guys said, hey, these guys are willing to fight. A lot of people don't realize it, but we were in the first barbed wire style matches. I mean, mm-hmm. we wrestled. 49 nights straight in barbed wire matches
2: wow. against
0: the sheep herders. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and then our schedule was about nine times a week in nine different cities and driving 3,500 miles a week. And uh, those guys, like I said, were they were comic, comic relief for the WWF, the WWE as the Bushwhackers. There were no two meaner people or an awesome tag team than Luke and Butch, the uh, New Zealand Sheep Herders.
2: Yeah, and and I want to get into those great feuds you had uh, with the Midnight Express and also the, the Sheep Herders, because uh, I've i seen many matches now of those two guys before they arrived in the WWF, and I really right. do want to talk about that. But backing up a little bit, and you mentioned it, that uh, you love playing in front of these crowds because a lot of this stuff that you were doing in the ring they'd never seen. What had they never seen at that point? Because today we see people, you know, flying off the the top the, top, uh, the turnbuckle. That's nothing. Uh, you yeah. know, now they're you know coming off balconies. But at the time, what had they yes. not seen that you guys were doing?
0: Well, that fa- that fast paced style of wrestling, where there mm-hmm. was where where there was uh, just a fast paced style. It's hard for me to say now because now I've seen the future, and like you said. You almost got to light yourself on fire and dive off the top of one of the major <laughs> arenas to be different today. Yeah, yeah. But but at that point, at that point, at that point, particular point, just all the different stuff we like, like, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but just uh, it, it, if I can go back and watch the matches, of course, on the WWE network and stuff like that, and say it's this, this, and this. It's hard for me to just say, but it was the fast-paced tag where a guy would be in the air. I would be tagging Tommy. Tommy would yep. hit him with something. That's right. what I'm talking about. Where we, it was a lot of combination-type moves to where, to where you know, uh, we we were utilizing our speed and therefore it's just like for example, we 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 we, we mon- did a monkey flip, which is was in the corner, and of course now it's nothing. But the guys like Abdullah the Butcher and 450-pound guys. I would jump up and try to monkey flip them. I couldn't Tommy would jump up on one leg. I would be on another leg and then we would monkey flip these big guys over and people yeah. would just, you know, that we utilized the tag team all the way. And yeah. that was one of the things that I think the people liked in the fast pace action. And plus, I'm going to tell you this, Sean, people know when you're passionate about what you do. Yeah. And I think that people could read into that because I'm going to tell you something. It didn't matter what city we were in. And back then in wrestling, sometimes I was just telling somebody yesterday, I was talking to them, we might be in a major Coliseum somewhere or Texas stadium. The next day we'd be in a skating rink. The next day in yeah. high school, the next day yeah. a Coliseum, but I'll tell you one thing right now, it didn't matter where we were, what the size of the Coliseum, the arena, the building or the cow barn or skating rink we were in or bingo hall. We gave those people everything we could. And the great thing about it was, Sean, and the reason why I did it, because this was a dream of mine. As mm-hmm. a six-year-old kid, you could ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I told you as a six-year-old boy growing up in Chillicothe, Ohio, I want to be a professional wrestler. I can't wait.
2: Yeah. And so yeah.
0: I think that people could read into the passion of our matches and know we would go out there and that we worked hard when we got in that ring.
2: And you mentioned growing up in uh, in Chillicothe, Ohio, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. It's a little place, yeah, yeah, Chillicothe, south of Columbus, folks. And uh, it was a a small, I mean, when you grew up, was it, uh, you know, just a a small town? And and how did you, uh, you know, develop this passion? Was it something that the family enjoyed or it was just something you picked up on and started reading the magazines? Uh, How did this passion start with you?
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I crossed, I walked in front of a television one day and uh, to be honest with you, Sean, it was a studio back then. They did a lot of studio wrestling shows and it was a studio Mm -hmm. and you had the commentator and he was talking almost like bowling. It was like, and now he has them in a top wrist lock, but it seemed like (laughs) an orchestra to me and it captivated me. It was the slamming of the body, the, the, the mat, the pounding and the sound of the mat the guy announcing, the referee yelling, the guys, the bodies clashing, the fans cheering, and to me it would have been like the Boston Pops or any or the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It was something that just hooked me there at that point to say, man, I want to do that. When I grow up, I just can't wait. And And I was hooked then and there. But the thing of it was, back then there were territories all over. And in Ohio <clears throat> there was a territory up until – 1965, basically, that it ran from 1910 to 65 out of Columbus. Mm -hmm. But a couple of the guys lived in Chillicothe. And about 11 years old, I started setting the ring up for them and stuff like that. But business was a lot different than it is today. They didn't want you in professional wrestling. When I started setting the ring up, they did not want to hear that I wanted to be a professional wrestler because Mm -hmm. you were an unwelcome person at that point. They really took care of their business. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah, kayfabe. Um, But I, yeah. obviously, you were persistent, and I and you had your yeah. first match when you were sixteen. I, I can't. Yes, sir. I mean, how did you talk somebody into letting you do that? Were you training on your own, well, and and you couldn't well, have been? Uh, a, 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 I, well, how much did you weigh then?
0: I, I, actually, I was about because I wanted to be a wrestler.
2: Right. I was
0: probably about two thirty. Really, I was five nine, about two thirty, and this was wow. back in the days of the thicker wrestler you, you, yeah. you, you before the bodybuilder wrestler. So I was about 230 pounds. I was pretty strong and stout. We didn't have a wrestling program in the high school I went to, but, but when we would set that ring up, we knew we had 15 minutes to get in that ring and roll around, and we uh-huh. did that. So I, you're right. I, there was no schools. There was no prior training. My friend of mine had said that there's somebody going to be having a wrestling event. I got in touch with that person. I asked if I could be a wrestler. I went to the guy I'd set the ring up with at four. I said, I need to, I need to find out how to get my boots and stuff and trunks. He said, do well, you need that. I said, I got a match on June the 17th and he could have <laughs> swallowed his teeth probably if he had dentures, <laughs> but he was very reluctant about it. He finally gave me the place, which every wrestler from the four, 40s, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, bought if they bought any kind of boots or trunks or whatever, Pretty much came out of Johnstown, Ohio, a company called K&H. So I ordered uh-huh. that, and I went to Clarksburg, West Virginia. And uh, I had my first match. And uh, as a matter of fact, me and another guy had never been trained. Sean, we got out into the ring. And I thought the match lasted about 30 minutes, but it was a battle and a struggle. And everybody came out of the dressing room and pulled me and him apart because they thought we are going to kill each other.
2: <laughs> so the shoot, huh?
0: <laughs> oh, it was a. I was black and blue from head to toe. And and listen, sir, I got paid five dollars for that night. I signed about four uh, autographs,
2: and I was on my way. You were. Hooked. I was on my way. Yeah, that, that's great. That's a great story. And uh, and and it, it it went up from there. Uh, but uh, at yes, the sir. time, though, you, you mentioned these these territories. Uh, did you start working right away I mean it sounded like that's all you were you, you went to work and that was it uh, did, did you well what ha- what I'm sorry go ahead I was to say what did it did it uh, take off or was it a long process for you to start getting you know regular work or what happened
0: well here's what happened I was I was 16 years old and I started wrestling on these events while I was still in high school so yeah. I would be a big bad heel on Friday Saturday and Sunday night and on Monday morning I was back in the classroom. Because my dad said, son, I want you to graduate high school. You need that diploma. I said, Uh dad, I'll get that diploma. I'm going to do that. Well, in the meantime, I wrestled on a card for a gentleman by the name of Flying Fred Curry, whose father was Wild Bull Curry. Uh And uh, then I started wrestling with them. And then all of a sudden, I went to the WWWF TV tapings that were in Allentown and Hamburg. Mm -hmm. And you can go on YouTube and watch my match. I'm about 18 years old wrestling on a couple of those matches there. And I would look big and burly there, as a matter of fact. And what I would do, I would wrestle on the weekends, or I would go there and do whatever I could until I graduated. And when I graduated, as soon as I graduated, Sean, I left home and started my journey as a professional wrestler.
2: Were you uh, athletic as a kid? Because, uh, you know, a lot of those moves that you you and uh, and Tommy, uh, you know, kind of became your signature. They yes. they reminded me of you know, like a gymnast. I mean, the way you would were synchronized. And uh, did you have that training, or were you athletic growing up? I, I played I played little league baseball and uh, mm-hmm.
0: football in in uh, middle school, and in high school I didn't because I'd started wrestling, and back then. Mm-hmm. They had a law that if you got paid to do something, like, like any type of sport, mm-hmm. even wrestling, then you weren't allowed to participate in any school sports anymore. Yeah, now, it's yeah. if you get paid for that particular sport, you can't do that sport. Right. But So so that was the end. But I always enjoyed sports, football, baseball, uh, stuff like that. But there was no wrestling programs. And even in my high school, when I graduated, they were mostly country boys that loved to play basketball. And uh, the football program had just basically started, so I didn't have an opportunity to do, do many other sports, especially no, no gymnast stuff. I and mean, you, you talk about how Tommy and I kind of were smooth wrestling like that. And, you know, keep in mind, we when you have a schedule of nine times a week in nine different cities, there's no time to practice. Yeah.
2: It was just well, – we. You, you you go ahead. You you will say something? No, I was just going to say. I mean, you, you hooking up with Tommy would come a, a bit later. But were you doing right. these type of moves before then, or was it no, that union? No.
0: Here's what happened. I was well, I was always a heel, and I was such a good heel. I would cause riots in a good way. <laughs> Back in those days, there were riots in a lot of towns. I mean, people would get so mad, they would get so angry. That they that they would attack you and in Kentucky, I was just telling some people yesterday. One time I was in a I was in a riot in Monticello, Kentucky, in which the people all picked their chairs up and started beating me with them and got my arm <laughs> broken. Really? And before before that, before that, we were wrestling in another town in eastern Kentucky, and I'll never forget we, we. I was in a mixed tag match, me and a me and a woman against another man and a woman, and all of a sudden this great big old Guy about six, seven stands up out. Well, his wife's got a hold of the woman I'm teaming with and choking her at ringside. <laughs> and I reach down, just take my foot and kick her away from the ring. Like, get out of here. Yeah, well, right. By that time, her husband's about six foot seven. He mm-hmm. grabs me, Sean, by the feet. Now he's trying to pull me off the ring, and I'm holding on for dear life <laughs> with the top rope. And he's like pulling and pulling and pulling. Well, I look and I see the police going out the front door of the arena. They're leaving. They know what's about to happen. So a guy who would later wrestle for a short time as my brother Eric Embry,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he uh, came running out to help me, and he hit the guy in the jaw. Well, the guy just set me down, was getting ready to just kill Eric Embry, and I football uh, filled uh, uh, gold kicked him right in the jaw. He was about six seven, about three hundred and some pounds. He went flying in the air. He rolled over. He got back in his seat, and he sat there and held his jaw the rest of the night. I mean, <laughs> But he uh, stayed for the show. You know, <laughs> he stayed for the show. He wasn't going to miss it, but he sat there and held his jaw. Then another time, I was sitting there watching the matches, and all of a sudden, uh, somebody hits me over the head with a chair. And I'm just sitting there watching the matches in the back, and I think, man, if this is one of the wrestlers, I'm going to kill him. And I'm looking at some man about 70 years old, and he's barely walking back. And he unfolds his folding chair and sets down in it. And I thought, doggone you. I went over to him. I said, sir, don't you ever, ever, ever do that again. And, and Sean, the next day, he had peeled the top layer of skin off my head. He hit me so hard. But, but, but. And
2: then just went and sat then, down.
0: the heels, huh? Oh, he went back and sat down. Yeah, like nothing to it, you know. But, but, but I was a heel up until then. Up until I got my arm broke. Then I'd went to Tennessee. I started learning to train and eat right, and then life had changed. I became a baby face. So that kind of brings you the circle there to where I'd changed from the 240-pound thick guy to the 200-pound built guy, you know. uh, it just uh, I guess I got tired of getting beat up by the fans or trying to kill me, you know. (laughs) Yeah,
2: well. Geez, if you would have been, uh, yeah, a baby face, maybe that might have helped you out. But that that came later. Yes, yes. So, so you ended up, uh, and I, I'm trying to keep the order of of uh, how this progressed. But I gotcha. uh, One one important part of this, though, is the time you spent in Calgary uh, with uh, with yes. Stu Hart, and I don't know if a yes, lot of sir. people know that but that had to have been quite an education for you because there were some pretty big names that came out of that area at the time.
0: Yes, sir. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I went there, I believe it was in 1980, and mm-hmm. I think it was even February or something like that. And I, there was a young uh, Bret Hart breaking into business, of course, a young dynamite kid, uh, Jim Neidhart, and uh, of course, you know, Owen Hart was running yeah. around the dressing room he was about 10 or 11 years old but it was just an unbelievable place to
2: learn there sean oh i imagine and uh, also i think you'd have to include i think davy boy smith was around that time and um well he know,
0: came after me i didn't it, meet him there
2: he didn't but uh, it really yeah. was uh, you know as far as what did you gain from that experience with with uh stewart's operation
0: well I, I got to learn. I got to wrestle with a lot of guys that were very talented. Like I said, Dynamite kid, Bret Hart was learning. And they had a guy named Leo Burke and Hubert Gallant and, uh, uh, Bobby Bass and the Cuban assassin and different guys that were, that were really, uh, really, really good. They wrestled really hard. And when I say really hard, they got in the ring and they produced. And, uh, it was a great place for me to go and learn that style of wrestling and to, uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to hone my skills more, but I was, I was a heel there as well and everything, but it was just a great opportunity to learn anytime you can get in the ring with guys like dynamite kid and son, I'm gonna tell you something. I'd see him get up on the top rope, dive off onto a concrete floor, head mm. first, or like do a diving head, but he would yeah. come back to the dressing room after wrestling 30 minutes, he would do a thousand Hindu squats. The guy wow. was a machine. Yeah. He was unbelievable. You know, well that,
1: yeah, that's just, just incredible. Real,
0: real. They had a real strong work ethic there, and that's uh, why there were so many great guys came out of Calgary. I believe because of that work ethic was built into them. You know, as as they were trained.
2: And, and I don't know how much uh, after that that you really became a a tag team wrestler. And I know that uh, your your first teaming. Which is uh, you know just a great footnote is uh, the fact that it was Terry Taylor that you uh, first hooked up with, which, the was, was, which was fantastic. Which was short lived. Uh, the fantastic ones, I think they were. Uh, they called yes, you, sir. but but um, did you even though that was short lived? Did you at that point start to say, well, you know, maybe uh, tag teams are for me, or was it just saying, okay, that was a short uh, run. What's next?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I had, uh, I had, uh, I had uh, right there. I, I we we'd went to Atlanta and wrestled for a while. About it was a short run, like you said. Yeah. It might have been eight weeks. I don't know, but I knew Terry Taylor before. He was a tremendous wrestler. He was yeah. really, really good yeah. in the ring. He had yeah. a good mind for the wrestling business, and we got to make a lot of trips together. And a lot of people, Sean, don't realize that for a professional wrestler, the classroom was the car at the time. I mean, that's where you could go and you could learn and absorb and hear and listen and uh, things like that. And Terry Terry was a uh, uh, a great guy to team with. What had happened was there was a coup attempt there in Memphis, and the coup attempt was that we were going to go to work one day in Memphis, and Jerry Lawler would have had taken the territory from Jerry Jarrett, and he had brought. And the reason why we left and that was a short period. He had already booked his crew to come in. We were going to go mm. to a TV one day and they were going to say, Jerry Jarrett, the fabulous ones, Terry Taylor, Bobby Fulton, uh, these guys are no longer working here. And that's what happened. And that's why we moved to another place because Jerry Jarrett had that, Jerry Lawler had that whole crew ready to come in and take Memphis over. He had Lance Russell. He had the TVs. He had everything, but in, the, in within that week, Jerry Jarrett and him had worked something out. So everything stayed the same. They still had 40 guys coming in, so they had to move some of us out. And that's what they did for that short time to Atlanta, where me and Terry Taylor got a chance to be the fantastic ones. And the reason why we did that was in Memphis, Jerry Jarrett had put together Stan Lane and Steve Kern Mm -hmm. uh, to be the fabulous ones. And we used the same hats the same fur coats, the same (laughs) whole nine yards, and did vignettes for us when we went to this other territory for this short time. It was very funny, you know. And uh, when Terry Taylor and I went down, we had some real good matches, some real good tag team matches and stuff. But then when they had us come back to Memphis, Terry resumed his single career. I resumed my, my single career, and I had went then to San Antonio, Texas, and started wrestling for Joe Blanchard while Terry stayed in uh, and stayed in Memphis for a while and then I think he went on to Mid South after
2: that. So it was the big break, or I don't know how you want to describe it, when you went to work for Bill Watts and yes. uh, eventually that, teamed with Tommy.
0: Yes, sir. As a matter of fact, I had a small break right before that. Mm-hmm. I had went to San Antonio right. and. Uh, I got a chance to work in some good matches there with some people, and Luke Williams was the booker. But, yes, they they needed a team to replace the Rock and Roll Express who had left for 90 days. And Bill Watts and Bill Dundee had said, let's get uh, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers. Let's bring them in here as a 90-day replacement team. They called us both I said, here's the opportunity we got. You guys want to go with it. I had met Tommy before in Memphis because he was one of the guys that had came in when Jerry Lawler was going to, have that new territory and so I'd met him before but Mm -hmm. we ended up gelling there it ended up being at first when we would go to arenas it would be signs about the rock and roll express but as we stayed there the signs started coming down and we were seeing more of the Fantastics signs up Sean so after we were there about four months we got a great opportunity great 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 uh, opportunity there we were going to leave about six months later or something like that. We went to world-class wrestling with the Bon Erics, and that's where it really, really exploded even more so than in, even in the mid South, we finally started getting over there and uh, we uh, got over to Dallas and things were really, really good for
2: us. So uh, when you were initially in the ring, got in the ring with Tommy, Was it something that was immediate, uh, or was it something that you guys just developed? I mean, a lot of times you'll see they'll put people together and it just never happened. They could have, you know, you could look at them and say, "God, they're going to be a great team," and they just don't for whatever reason. What was it about Tommy? I,
0: I, you know, he 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 was a great. You talked about athleticism. Uh He's a great athlete, and uh, he was phenomenal in the ring, and and we just jailed. On, the, uh, I, on my strong points that I had and he had strong points and like I told you not one time ever not one time ever did he say this is about me I want to look good and not one night ever I said this is about me Bobby Fulton wants to look good right there from the get go when we first got there to, to Mid-South Wrestling and as a matter of fact we had bought Terry Taylor because Terry Taylor was there Terry still had the tuxes that me and him had before he sure. bought Tommy Rogers, bought the stuff off him. We just jailed. And, and it's hard Sean to explain, but it, it is, uh, it was just, it was magical. Can I say yeah. magical?
2: Oh, absolutely. It was magical. <laughs> and, and, uh, it's, when did you really though, is it, you may have felt it. Uh, but when did you really feel when, when you saw the crowd reaction? And like you said, that just how they were, you know, this was growing. Uh, that you, you kind of looked at each other and said, man, we got something going on here.
0: I You, you know what? I, I I think I it's such, and I'll, and I'll tell you this, those th- times are such a whirlwind, it's hard mm-hmm. to catch your breath really? and even say anything. Yeah. It's just like a constant, constant thing, and it's like Jim Cornette said, when we would go to the ring in Dallas, if people watch those old uh, tapings and stuff, they would almost strip our clothes off of us. I mean, they had those guys, uh, the security guards, and it was a struggle to get to the ring, which is a good thing. Yeah. And I mean, we we had got over that strong and stuff like that, but but oftentimes, Sean, it's not until you get through, go through that, that you can look back and go, "Wow, yeah. man, I can't believe that. I just can't believe all this stuff that's going on." You're, you know, it's 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 just such an a uh, an unbelievable ride at yeah. the time, you know, and, and you just don't have, you don't really have a time. You don't really have time to just step back and go, man, I can't believe how this is. I mean, you know it, but until you get through it, do you go, boy, that, that was really special. But I knew it was magical from the beginning. Yeah. I knew it was, I'd been a student of wrestling since I was a little kid and I knew something just jailed. And, and there was a connection with the fans. And that's the thing missing today in professional wrestling is the connection to the fans. And it's just like any sport, anywhere or anything, unless you connect with your audience, you're not able to get through. And we were able to get through to our audience, whether it was in an arena or whether it was on television. Mm. I I just want to say this real quick. At the time, and I'm not getting ahead of myself, I hope not, they were doing some WCW tapings in Orlando at MGM.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the fans that would come to the tapings at the MGM's studios were not wrestling fans. They were just coming from getting out of the sun in an air conditioned yeah. arena, watching yeah. a taping of wrestling. Well, a lot of people don't know it or not, but, uh, they had a guy called wildcat Willie. He was over on a trampoline off behind the cameras. So a lot of times when the crowd was cheering and jumping up and down, it wasn't because the wrestling that was going on at MGM studio for wall for WCW. It was, Wildcat Willie was doing flips.
2: <laughs> I I so never heard the producer, that before.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, it was Wildcat Willie doing flips on the trampoline. Right. The rest, It wasn't the reaction from the wrestlers, but the director and the producer came up to us after a, a day, one day of tapings. He said, you know what? He said, when, when you guys are in the ring here, he said, we don't have to have Wildcat Willie jump at all.
2: <laughs> now said, that's the ultimate you compliment. You guys
0: are able to connect. Yes. And, and and I took it as a compliment. He uh, said, you guys, these people are just coming in. They're not fans, yeah. but they, they're they coming in trying to get some air conditioning. They're enjoying MB- MGM studios, but we don't have to make wildcat Willie jump whatsoever. <laughs> you all are making a connection with the people while they're here. He said, it's unbelievable. And he told me it was magical. I mean, and I, so, I mean, I, a lot of times, Sean, you know, you don't want to toot your own horn or say this and that. But a lot of people would say stuff like that along the way. And even Bronco Lubich was who had been in the business for years told me and Tommy hundreds of times, he said, it's just un- unbelievable. I mean, you know, we, uh, we, we, we worked in certain territories. We didn't make it to others because we were busy at that time and being able to make money in the places that we were in. It wasn't like years ago where, I mean, like today, where there's just one major company or maybe one and a couple of minor companies. It was, there was companies and everybody was a, a lot of more people was able to make money and a living than today, you know, with professional wrestling,
2: you know, how that goes. Yeah. And, uh, and back it up a little bit to talk a little bit more about a mid South. And I've had, you know, several guests on who talk about the, right. I the golden days of the mid uh, of mid South when, you know uh, jyd was there and uh, you know hacksaw talks right. about it ted dibiase how about those crowds you mentioned and that uh, you know they uh, said you know we could tell it's gonna be a good night if you you know looked out of the crowd and there'd already been five fights you know then that oh it's <laughs> yeah. gonna be a good one tonight you know so tell me about oh, what, yeah. what that was what uh, being with mid-south was like in its heyday and and those crowds
0: Well, I'll give you two examples of fighting in the crowd. One of them, one night, I was wrestling, Tommy and I was wrestling Superstar Bill Dundee and Dirty Dutchman Tail. And -hmm. all of a sudden, they're beating me with a bullwhip. And a guy jumps into the ring. And as he jumps into the ring, Bill Dundee just turns the handle around and smacks the guy right in the face with the bullwhip handle standing in the ring. And the guy grabbed his face and yelled, I guess I better get out of here. And he <laughs> kicked his own self out of the ring. He didn't <laughs> <laughs> he did he, he he didn't have to have anybody the police take him yeah. out and, and once and you step into that ring, in yeah. Yeah. O- yeah, yeah. Once you right. Once you yeah, step into that ring, then you then you're on your own. I mean, uh, as far as that goes. But but then another time I remember the Midnight Express had jumped us in Oklahoma City and Oklahoma and Tulsa was some pretty crazy places. I mean, as far as just fist fights and everything, and you know, I talked about earlier how a guy hit me over the head with a chair watching the matches. This stuff happened, and a lot of people didn't don't realize it when they see the product of of today. And then you tell them about this stuff that used to happen. That's how emotional people used to get and everything. But another time, I remember. The Midnight Express beat, beat me up, beat me up. They threw me through the ropes as I'm flying through the ropes. These big cowboys are jumping over top of me into the ring. Going to kill the Midnight Express. I mean, (laughs) it was just that rough. And, And another time I'll never forget, I was in Houston, Texas, and it was the same Houston Coliseum. And there was a guy at the top of the building. And I don't know why we were watching him, but he took off running all the way down the aisle. He ran all the way down the aisle, all the way down, running fast, running fast up the steps of the ring. <laughs> he got met by Hercules Hernandez, who he just wished he would, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have met. But,
1: uh, things are, I,
0: I'll give you another example. <laughs> Axel Jim Duggan was one of the most popular wrestlers there, right? Yeah. Me, me and him and Tommy, we were in La Roger. In the little Dotson 280Z, I think it was Tommy's, and we, we couldn't move because the crowd had surrounded us in LaRanger, and uh, not LaRanger, but somewhere down in the, down down in the Louisiana. But we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't move, and the people started beating on the car, and the rearview mirror fell off inside the car, off the off the the off the uh, off the uh, the uh, da- uh what am I trying windshield? to say the
2: uh the windshield the
0: windshield yes there yeah, you go yeah. I found that word Thank you, Sean. <laughs> but it fell off and Jim Duggan looks around at us he said man imagine if they hated us <laughs> 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 they would have flipped, right. they flipped they the car been. over
2: <laughs> right yeah well I know he told me many you know, a story about how crazy I mean that they, they basically had riot police in the building, and they'd be back in the, you know, you're ready to go to the ring? Okay, ready to go. And everybody would come out and literally fight yes. your way to the ring and then fight your way back.
0: I Yeah, as a matter of fact, one time we had wrestled the Sheep Herders and Terry Taylor and Tommy Rogers, we were in a six-man tag, and we went to jump out of the ring, and the fans started fighting us. The Sheep Herders walk on, and it's me, Terry Taylor. Well, I, I, and, I and I tried to get out of there because I didn't want to be around no riots and stuff like that. But there was a, a little bit of one there with the, with the good guys. I mean, so they would get carried away and, uh, and, uh, they were ready to fight, you know, like you said, you knew it was going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> there was two or three fights out in the crowd, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, you can be the greatest tag team around, but you need, you need uh, another tag team to make you even greater. And, right. uh, Tell me about those the feud with the Midnight Express. I, I think that there's another tag team we will, of course, uh, mention again uh, the the Herders. But uh, but you had right. some great great bouts with the Midnight Express. And tell me about that that uh, you know that mix in the ring and and uh, how well that worked when you did matches with those guys.
0: Right, right. Well, as a matter of fact, the first uh, version there in the mid south was. Dennis Condry, Lover Loverboy Dennis, and beautiful Bobby, and of course the young Jim Cornette, who yeah, was a yeah. wonderful mouthpiece and an yeah. asset to the team. Although he he didn't uh, wasn't in their wrestling, but boy, he sure could work the crowd up, and oh, yeah. everybody out in the audience knew that they could whip Jim Cornette. They, yeah. they might not be able to whip beautiful Bobby, but Loverboy Dennis, and but they could whip Jim Cornette. Our matches with them, those guys, those guys were magical in the ring i yeah. mean i don't I don't know how else to say it but but they were just so talented and uh, the ironic thing about Dennis Condry was he had started out, I think in Alabama, and he was a referee, and then he was a good guy early in his career, but he just wasn't doing anything, and he just was a mediocre babyface.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and the minute they turned Dennis Condry heel, he found his niche and he was he was great, and he he was one of the best, and him and beautiful Bobby were a tremendous tag team and both of them worked that same style and I, and I want to say it's a southern style of wrestling. I don't know if that phrase has been coined or not, but it's a little bit different style. It's more up and down, faster-paced wrestling than perhaps what the more northern style, especially the northeast style would have been back then, you know. Uh you mm-hmm. got in the ring, the bell rung, it was it was on you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and everything, but they were just tremendous in the ring to wrestle against. And Jimmy Cornette was a blessing to him because he was able to do all the talking and uh, they were a tremendous tag team.
2: You know, and, and uh, you know, each one of those matches and and you had quite a few, uh, you know, encounters with them, but after a while, when you work with a tag team like that and you kind of get to know uh, how they operate in the ring, they get to know how you work. Um, did we, did you see like the, they just, it just kept getting better and better when you would,
0: uh, yes, sir. Yeah.
2: Yes, sir. A,
0: it just kept getting better and better. Like you said, and it was just awesome. And, and, and the thing of it was the, the thing I liked about the midnight express. And I'll say this, there were some guys that were only on when the red light was on. Do you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. On it's TV. Yeah. But, 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 and there's so many guys that's on during a big event and the rest of the time they just kind of lumber through, but these guys were just like us. We were hungry. We wanted it. So every night, every night we got in that ring, we gave it our all. And that's what I loved about the Midnight Express. They were a tremendous tag team like that, like that. We complimented each other's work.
2: You, you, you know what I mean?
0: yeah and, absolutely uh,
2: everything like that they were tremendous, yeah and that, and it doesn't happen uh you know all that often, no. especially you know a time that they, they work that well together and if right. if someone were to say that you would have this tremendous run against the sheep herders, people were, at that time right. they probably would have said, no, nah, I don't know how that's gonna work, you know because you know uh, most people uh, know the bushwhackers. The sheepherders as this right. comic duo that the uh, you know that were right. with the WWF, and I uh, you know I had a conversation with Luke and asked him about you know were you did you have any regrets about going to you know the World Wrestling Federation and becoming kind of this you know uh, comic relief? And he said uh, mm-hmm. you, you know no way, mate. <laughs> he said yeah, sure we got sure. rich sure. from it and and it's been, it's carried them through. But one if people really want to know about a, a nasty. Horrible, rotten mm-hmm. duo who are just tough as yeah. nails. You got to go back and look at the sheet, <laughs> yes. and, and when you hear tell people yes that, they're sir. like, "What?" But I, I think yes. you can tell me a few stories about just how tough they were.
0: I mean, uh, we, we, when we 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 they had a Crockett Cup back in 1986, I think, in the Superdome in New Orleans, and they had every tag team in the world at that time. There, I'm talking about. Giant Baba Tiger Mask, all the guys from the National Wrestling Alliance that were anything and anybody that yeah. was there. And, and we wrestled the Sheep Herders who, like you said, at first you would think it's an un, un, unlikely combination that would yeah. gel because here's two bloodthirsty guys and here's two guys that fly around the ring. And at first it was kind of like this. Tommy and I realized that we, they weren't going to wrestle our style we were going to have to wrestle their style. Uh We couldn't expect them to do all the flipping and the flying and the jumping and this and that, because think about it. They had already been in the business for a long, long time and they, they were blood and guts wrestlers. And, and little did we know how much it would help us as far as our popularity and everything. And they were just tremendous. And, uh, uh, Luke and Butch. Yes. they, Got in that ring they, they 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 were really tough guys, and they had to be tough guys, because, like I said, you had to fight the the bad guys had to fight their way sometimes into the ring and sometimes out of the ring, and that was just a part of their job, and like I said, at that time, we were wrestling nine times a week in nine different cities and mostly driving everywhere that we went, three thousand to thirty five hundred miles a week. But in that wow. thing, and I'm proud of this. Sean, that people tell me today that the sheep herders and the fantastics out of all the great tag teams back then that we stole the show. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about totally and iron was there. I I don't know if Ric Flair was there. I think he might've been there in a title match, but giant Bob and them, Ronnie Garvin and them, uh, Nikita Koloff, dusty roads, American drink, rock and roll express, the fabulous ones. Everybody was there, but this unlikely match, that people didn't realize would be would jail like it did and get over like it did and meant what it would, you know, Luke and Butch told me, and I was just with Luke two days ago. He, he, they told me wherever they went with the WWF, a lot of times people talk about how about those barbed wire cage matches you were in with the Fantastics. I'm talking about in other countries where people were able to see it now on YouTube and stuff like that. But, uh, those guys were unbelievable. They were great and uh, really, really good guys, you know, at the end of the, at the, end of the night. Uh, hard-working guys, I'll say that. So whatever they did to be the blood and guts guys of the Sheep Herders, they did more so as the Bushwhackers. If they needed yeah. comic relief, then more power to them, and it probably extended their careers a few more years. And like I said, I was just with Luke Williams this past weekend, and he's still out there. Doing what he loves, yep. professional wrestling, and I think he's been in it since 1962. So he's yep. had a long, long career there.
2: Yeah, bloody lovely. Tell your mother. Yeah, <laughs> love hearing <laughs> that. Uh, but it's you know, I find it really interesting that you said what you said about how you realized that they couldn't, they couldn't play your game. They couldn't do what you guys did. Right. So you're going to have to adjust. Right. Not that they weren't, un, they were unwilling. It's just that that was their style, no. and they you know, they, they weren't going to go start doing what you were doing. So how did you guys,
0: go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Uh, uh, I said that you, uh, you know, when you guys went into this and uh, you you realize, okay, we have to do what, you know, we have to come down and, and uh, and literally on the mat and (laughs) basically go head to head with these guys. So that's right. What did you guys do to adjust, though? I mean, because this isn't a style you were used to doing, and then it clicked right away. Yeah,
0: well, I had grew up in Ohio, and I grew mm-hmm. up watching guys like Pamper Furpo, the original Sheik, Wild Bow Curry, as I mentioned earlier, all this type of brawling style wrestling. And I told yeah. Tommy right at the beginning because we were trying to do a couple of things that we could do, and it just wasn't. I'm. Mean, I finally told Tommy, Tommy, we're not gonna, we're not gonna get them to do what we do. And it's not, like you said, it's not a knock to them, but it wasn't their style. I said, but what we're going to have to do is go their style. We're not going to be able to expect them to take this big bump or do this big crazy thing or do whatever. We're going to have to go and work their style, and that's how these matches are going to gel even more so. And that's just what we did. Uh, we, We decided more or less on our own to listen, number one, and to to do what we needed to do. And one of it was we couldn't count on doing any, any uh, you know, uh, much stuff flying through the air and things. It just wasn't going to happen. But like I said, I grew up watching all the blood and guts matches of all these other guys as a kid, and uh, I, that's exactly what we did. We were prepared to do, and that's exactly what we did. I'll never forget uh, during that time I had – bloody wrestling trunks all over my place because, mm. you know, I'd get home, I'd have to grab some more trunks, jump in the car and drive and just keep on going and keep on going until you just, it was just your head and body was like hamburger, <laughs> raw hamburger. Mm. And, uh, but you know what, Sean, I'll tell you one thing right now. I, I loved it. I loved that opportunity with the sheep herders. And like I said, here's the thing. If people weren't talking about what was done last week, they still talk about what was done 30 years ago. To me, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing, and that's a compliment in itself. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned this. uh, You know, you guys initially just wanted them to be good matches. Uh, When did you realize how it was helping your career? Because here you were, these pretty boys. Uh, basically yeah. that, you know, didn't get your hands dirty or, you know, didn't see any juice. And then suddenly right. you're, you're these two brawlers that are like, Hey, you guys want to go, let's do it. Well, so when when did okay, you realize well, that how that was changing the way people viewed you in the ring? Well, at the beginning
0: we would play music. We'd go around the ring and kiss all the girls <laughs> and mostly uh-huh. girl, girls would cheer a song. And it was, and, and it was, we had most of the females in the audience, but then as we went on with these matches, The guys started siding with us. I mean, you know, think about it. It's easy for a man to side with a guy like Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Tough guy, you know what I'm saying. I'm going to come down there and I'm going to do this. But you got two guys that your girlfriend or wife's yelling for, cheering on. And you're thinking, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I could whip his, uh, you know, this and that and everything. And they're going, yeah, they ain't nothing but a couple, like you said, pretty boys. Oh, they ain't going to fight nobody and all of a sudden their faces shoved in four-prong barbed wire, blood's flying left and right, and we're giving it, and and we're taking it and giving it. And then the guys, the tide slowly turned to where the men were also cheering us on. So that's where we've seen that. We were able to reach that. Now they'd call that that demographic. At the beginning, it was the demographic of the women that was was anywhere from – teenagers to 30 years old or 35 that they marketed us to to draw you know now we've got all of those women and now their boyfriends and husbands and men that are saying man those guys are fighters which was really smart on the promoters aspect of the booking because before where we were just uh, had the the girls attraction of course and Jerry Jarrett had told me many times, you have to have uh, on your on your roster. You have to have all different types of people to draw all different kinds to the wrestling match. Well, now you got the guys that were drawing the women. Now they're able to draw the guys. They're able to get the guys behind them, and I think ends up being an asset for the wrestling company.
2: Yeah. Well, I encourage anybody to uh, you know you got a chance check out uh, some of these matches between. Uh, the Fantastics and, and the sheep herders are really, it was fun. I actually watched a couple of uh, this past week cause I knew we were going to be talking, but, uh, and, and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of the Bushwhackers, but, uh, knowing yes, sir. their history, uh, going, you know, that I always had such respect for those guys because, you know, I knew where they came from and, uh,
0: right. and, you know, and, and i
2: couldn't have been, could not have been happier for them for the success that they had. And, and like you said, it's, it's extended their, their careers but people really should know sure. uh, what those two were made of because uh, and you helped them right. you helped them get there so um that 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 was that is a match you uh, some of the matches you should definitely check out um what one, one uh person you mentioned earlier and I, I wanted to talk about because I think he played a big role in your career uh, along the way is is Jim Cornette and uh how did that yes. how did that first meeting happen and and how did uh, what kind of an influence did he have on you and the relationship that you guys have had over the years
0: well jim cornett was a photographer in louisville kentucky and mm-hmm. his mother Thelma would sell pictures for miss christine jarrett jerry jarrett's mother
2: mm-hmm. and i
0: would come to louisville working for jarrett promotions and i started talking to jim cornett and i and as a matter of fact i would ride with him and his mother from louisville to evansville on wednesdays and we would stop at the little fish place in clarksville Indiana and I, we, we would talk along the way. And back then we were supposed to be kayfabe and we took care of the business or the business never going to take care of you. And I mean, we no. never, we never really said anything, but miss Christine always told me that Jimmy was dangerously smart, that he didn't know when not to talk to the, front <laughs> of the fans, you know, and this like that. But I, I told Jimmy one day, Sean, I said, Jimmy, you know, we were riding and his mother, Thelma was driving. I said, you're, you're, you're not going to be a wrestler. But you're, you're going to be a manager. You, you're going to do stuff in the professional wrestling business. You're going to be a booker. And I just kind of I kind of more or less told him things that I thought that he was going to do. And, Sean, he's cussed me. And, I mean, now, if anybody knows Jim Cornette, he can cuss even he more than that, that guy cussing. in the Christmas story. <laughs> you know, he knows if you get a good cuss from Jim Cornette, then you get a good cuss, you know. Yeah, yeah. And said, Bobby Fulton, you marked me then. And everything you told me I would do, I have done. Yeah. And, uh, but me and him have been good friends throughout all the years. And we both love wrestling equally the same. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we, uh, we, uh, you know, there's a, kin there's and I'll tell you this, Sean, you tell me if I'm not right. I was just saying this the other day, I'd sat down with Luke Williams who I hadn't yeah. seen in a while. Yeah. But there's a kinship with us all, and it's when we sit down and we haven't seen each other in five, ten, eleven years. When we sit down to start talking, it's like I didn't. It's been two or three days since I've seen you. Right. Yeah. Do you do you get that,
2: Sean? No, oh, absolutely. You go that's a, that's a true friendship guy. too. I mean, you guys uh, yes. were in the trenches together, and you mentioned you mentioned Bobby about uh, you know that classroom on the road and it's not part of the business anymore you you guys uh, you know in this even to the you know the 80s and 90s guys were going to a lot of you know they're doing a lot of house shows but back then that was your life you you got in a car and you would cover ridiculous numbers of miles in a week I mean I hear some of the stories like you what'd you say like 3,500 miles a week yeah that's in that that's crazy and and you're wrestling every night so uh, yeah. That is where that that is formed, and and uh, it, it's just not it doesn't it's not part of the business today. And I I think that that in some ways uh, has hurt it because you don't have that classroom like that anymore, the, and you don't have that right. where you're one night you're playing to you're in front of a crowd of twenty five, and uh, you know two weeks later you're in front of twenty five thousand. It's uh, you know yes sir that's, that that's uh, that teaches you a lot. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're right.
0: You're exactly yeah. right. And uh, like I said, uh, that uh, that is some of the elements that's missing in the business today and uh, everything. But, you know, Sean, I, I look back over the miles and look back. When I was a kid growing up, we didn't have the Internet, but I had these magazines that I could go to the bookstore and buy. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing, Sean, for me as the years went by, and I reminisced about buying those magazines and seeing Bruno San Martino and those dreams. And I try to tell every kid this in Chillicothe, Ohio, and I speak to them quite often that no matter what your dream is, you can't achieve it if you have the passion enough to do so. Because imagine me at 16, 17 years old, 18, going to do these TV tapes, and there's Bruno San Martino standing over there. And yeah. I have read about him in the magazines and everything, and I, I've never seen him on television because it was pre-cable and pre-internet, and I'm looking at the man, the myth, the legend, Stan Stasiak. I'm looking at all these guys, Chief J. Strong, all these different people, Greg the Hammer, Valentine, some now that I've wrestled and, and some that I've met, but it's just unbelievable of the opportunities you have that you can, Sean, live your dream regardless of what it is, and I am thankful. That, has it been rough? It's never easy but it's been worth yeah. it every step of the way. And I am very blessed and very thankful for getting an opportunity to be what I've been in professional wrestling. As you said, not a very big man, five foot nine. But, uh, when I got in that ring, I gave it my all and it was a blessing. That's for sure.
2: You know, when they had, uh, you know, back in the day with these or with the different territories, um, Mm-hmm. Was was that a, a good time in wrestling? Uh, I, you know, we will, we'll, of course, we'll never go back to it. But we see some of these other organizations now, um, you know, with the uh, uh, Ring of Honor and, uh, you know, New Japan. Uh-huh. And now we've got AEW. Right. Uh, is that give you uh, some optimism for the business? And, and, you know, you learn so much by going to different places, and and it isn't just the the ultimate stop, which, of course, everybody wants to get to the WWE. I hope they all do. Right. But uh, do you see more opportunity now than than, uh, we've seen in a while?
0: Well, I'll tell you this. The fabulous one Jackie Fargo told me, Bobby Fulton, you can never kill professional wrestling. Mm. He said, you cannot kill it, Sean, number one, if what has been done to our business had been done to any other sport or touring group, Mm. it would have been dead a long time ago. But you know, as I drive down the road, as I drive down the road, I can go by a storefront of a little small backyard wrestling show. And there's people there. And then I drive on down the road a little bit more. There's a high school full of people watching professional wrestling. And then I drive on down further. There's a Coliseum that holds Five thousand people that are there ready to watch wrestling, and then, as I keep on driving, there's a major arena that holds fifteen thousand people that's got people there. i worried I worried in the '90s that wrestling might die, but when I see all that like you talked about, all the different things and stuff like that, it's never going to die. It is mm-hmm. alive and it's prosperous. Yes, it will cycle. Things will get better, and I'll tell you what I've learned is that this when the WWE is doing big business all the people at the bottom do big business but right. when that cycle starts to drop we I noticed that down below it drops first then the WWE will drop so you can kind of use the WWE like you said it is the place where everybody wants to go and what they have done with that it's it's it it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I've seen uh, at, Texas, at the stadium out in, uh, when they did the uh, WrestleMania. It's unbelievable. I mean, the NFL can't do what they've done. Mm-hmm. The NBA can't do what they've done. It's amazing what they've done on that level. But like you said, with the, other, with the ROHs, the AEW and stuff like that, wrestling is alive and well. The only concern I have about professional wrestling, and I'm going to be point blank and tell you the truth, I don't like all these wrestling schools and I don't like all these wrestling schools. And I wish there was a moratorium or some way to stop them. And the reason why I don't like them is there's a lot of guys that will take two or three classes. Then they think they're a wrestler. Then they have one match, then they open up a school. And then I see a lot of very unsafe, unpolished guys out -hmm. in that ring. And that's why you see a lot of crazy things going on. And uh, some of the dumb stuff that's done, And they don't really truly respect the wrestling business because they didn't have to go through the steps that we did to get in it.
2: Yeah. That, that bar is so high now.
0: Yeah. 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 We, we were always taught to take care of the business. We have to take care of this business before it'll ever take care of you. Mm. And that is lost. And that is lost. And one thing that happened was in the eighties when the territories started shutting down A lot of the guys that lost their jobs that worked in the territories started opening up schools. Now, they taught a good product, but now it's such a watered-down version. It's like me drinking a cola, but I pour half of it out and fill it with a bunch of water, and finally you don't see the darkness in it anymore. It's just a clear, milky-looking bottle, and that's what these wrestling schools have become, and it's just that's the tragedy. I'm not talking about all of them but I'm going to say most of them, most yeah. of them. And I asked guys, who's going to get trained. I said, let me ask you, where has the, where's the person been? Who's training you? Well, he wrestled 15 times. I said, how long has he been in the business? No, first I said, How long has he been he's been in the business 20 years. I said, how many matches he had? He's had probably about 20 yeah. in 15 years.
1: Yeah.
0: And you're going to him to, as a school for, to teach you, A, you know, professional wrestling is totally wrong. And, uh, I just think, but, but as far as the ROHs and all this and that, I'm going to tell you, Sean, what other business can you think of that is, that is out there everywhere in all different levels? I think that's what I'm trying to say other Mm -hmm. than professional wrestling. It's unbelievable. Whether you call sports entertainment, professional wrestling, or whatever you want to call it, it's at the end of the day. When you when you go to bed, it's still professional wrestling, and I mean everybody knows it. You, you know that's just a fact.
2: Are, are you concerned though that uh, with what uh, some of these guys are doing in the ring, uh, the the chances they're taking, and it seems like uh, like I said, the, the bar is just so high now to uh, you know the people come to expect this, and and the storytelling kind of goes out the window. Well,
0: I think it. I'll tell you what. Everything old is new again, right? Yeah. Let me ask you this: How many MMA fights have you ever seen where the guy jumped off the cage and dropped an elbow on somebody?
2: Yeah, yeah, zero.
0: How many times is how many times have they lit a table on fire and threw it in the cage mm. and slammed the guy on it?
2: Mm. Yeah, none.
0: Yeah. Look at the respect that business has, and I'm, 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 I'm going to say this: I, I and there's not jumping and flying and backflips and this and that. I want to ask you this. How many, how many, how many moonsaults did Hulk Hogan do? Yeah.
2: <laughs> how if many, the, if how the many tape many exists, I haven't seen it.
0: <laughs> how many, how many huracaranas did the rock do? Yeah. Right. How many, how many dives off the balcony did Stone Cold Steve Austin do? Yeah. They have see, i see these yeah. i see these tests i see these these uh crash test dummies doing this stuff and look here i'll just give you for example sean last last saturday night march the 16th 2019 we did a fundraiser in my hometown i'm 58 uh-huh. years old it was me and ricky morton of the rock and roll express was against the franchise shane douglas and another guy under a mask with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat as a referee. Then we had the Honky Tonk Man wrestle with my son as a tag team partner, with Jimmy Hart as his manager, against uh, Robbie, Robbie Starr and Sean Casey. Now, let me ask you this. How many guys, how many guys do you know that's 25 and 30 years old right now in professional wrestling can be wrestling at 58?
2: No. walking let alone wrestling yeah I'm gonna say they make it to 30 <laughs>
0: that's right yeah. that's right that's right the yeah. thing of it is is longevity and uh and this and that and you just got to be smart and like you said the the bars raised high and see people there's there's only so many people that the, that the wwe can utilize so these guys think by jump setting themselves on fire jumping off the top of an arena doing this and doing that's going to catch their eye No, it's going to get you killed.
2: Yeah, or crippled. Yeah, crippled, well, it's kind of yeah. scary. You know I, mean? I mean, that's You're what I do. I, it scares me to to watch some of this stuff. I'm just wow. I mean, it's it's a cringe TV to me. I mean, I just see it, I'm like, oh my goodness, it is. these guys. You know, that, it is. Uh But uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think that at some point, you know, that people will get tired of seeing that because how much more can you do? You're gonna blow, you know, blow a guy up. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know.
0: But yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and they went through that. They went through that in Japan. And and actually, there's a name for that in professional wrestling. That's called hot shotting. And yeah. people would go into a territory and hot shot it. And then and after a while, then sometimes often it hurt. It brought business up for a while, but it dropped the territory off and then it would suffer afterwards. So you're exactly right. Look here, how high can you go? You can only go so high, then you got to come back down. Yeah. And, and then get to the people's attention. It's just all, I'm going to tell you something. All of professional wrestling, I know it's a lot of stuff in the ring, but it's all psychology. And the yep. ideal of psychology is to be able to read your crowd, to be able to read your crowd, to not only be able to read your crowd, but to buy into what you're selling, just mm. like any good salesman. If you have a pencil that has no lead in it, but this person's wanting lead in it, You're going to sell them that pencil one way or another so that they'll say, you know what, I didn't need that lead. But what I'm saying is this, the whole nuts and bolts of the professional wrestling is people buying into the pay-per-view or coming to the live show and buying your merchandise and making a connection with the crowd so that they want to come because, you know, I'm 58 years old. I got a chance to see the Big Red Machine out of Cincinnati. Pete Rose, mm-hmm. Johnny Bench, Tony Perez, all those guys. That was my team. I think that's what's missing in professional wrestling today, where they go, you know what? That's my guy.
1: Yeah.
0: And we had that for years in professional wrestling, whether and even up into Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin, when the greatest one, of the greatest hills of all times, Vince McMahon was the biggest hill everybody wanted to see killed in in that yeah. feud. You know, I mean. You think about it. People could relate with Stone Cold Steve Austin. They need someone that they can connect to. And if you have that, then you have a gold mine. If you don't have that, then you're just spinning your
2: wheels, you know, as far as that goes. Yeah. Well, you could have the greatest gimmick in the world if you don't have the right guy to to do it. It's not going to happen. And that's what we saw. uh, What we saw with Stone Cold, the rock, you know, and you mentioned these things of, you know, all they had to do. I mean, Hulk put his hand up to his ear and, uh, rock that's raising, it. raising his eyebrow. I mean, that's all they have to flip off anything or, uh, do something crazy. Um, one, one thing you have to be proud of, uh, along the way, and I'm sure there are many accomplishments, but, um, you're, you're credited with what you made an appearance on raw back in 97 and along with, uh-huh. with Tommy, uh, to, yeah. uh, and really, and helped kind of uh, kick off, uh, launch the light heavyweight division that they would have with the WWE. Uh, I don't know if going into that that was the premise of that, but um, looking back, I, I I'm hope you're I hope you're proud of that because you do. Many people talk about that that you were you were there and helped uh, make that happen.
0: Thank you, sir, so much. As a matter of fact, uh, in '97, Jim Cornette had called and he said. Bobby, we're wanting to launch this light heavyweight division. Would you and Tommy mind coming up here, being on Raw, so that Vince could take a look at smaller guys and just prove to him, you know, that uh, we could get something going. And and yeah. and I'm tickled to death if people talk about that in particular, Sean. like I said, it's a great big stage, uh, yeah. Raw or you know uh, SmackDown and and everything. But uh, and people still mention uh, about us appearing there. I mean. It's it, it's the major league. It's the go-to business. It's like I heard Dusty Rhodes and people say, or somebody said, they don't call it wrestling. It's WWE, and yeah. that is what. But 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 going back to that, we I knew going in that they that's what they wanted to do, and I was more than happy to do that and to be that much part of the professional wrestling to help that along because you see so many great light heavyweights in professional wrestling. And oftentimes everybody's great, big giant guys and stuff like that, but there's room for everybody in it. And I mean, you talk about guys like Ray Mysterio Jr. And yeah, all yeah. these other great, uh, light heavyweights that are just, uh, unbelievable in the ring. And I mean, they're still going and more power to them. I'm, I'm proud of them.
2: Yeah. And there's so much fun to watch as, as you guys were, yes. uh, you know, and uh, and Bobby, I can't believe that, like you just said, you were just in the ring. Uh, you, you've you been at it a, a long time. Uh, what what has been the secret to do that? I mean, have you always just been really good about taking care of yourself, or uh, how have you been able to do it?
0: Well, I'll tell you what. I, I've been blessed to, to, to have taken care of myself somewhat. I'm 58. <laughs> yeah. I can't and, believe you know, got the ring. The <laughs> Sean, this is the deal. I used to be great nine times a week, but now I'm great about once a month. <laughs> and I can, I can, <laughs> and I mean, you know, what's funny is the crowd comes and here's the deal. We did a fundraiser for the baseball team, right? The crowd yeah. comes because grandpa brings grandkids yep. Yep. to say, these are who I want. <laughs> yeah. And like I uh, got right. a big, yeah. big crowd there. And we still are able to get in there and do enough that where the magic's still there. I mean, you know, we're not doing any hurricanes or. <laughs> yeah, no. no hacksaw says, yeah, like,
2: hack says as long as. hacksaw says, as long as I get a ramp up to the ring, I, I'll I'll keep going back <laughs> up there. You know? But really, yeah, I mean, I got you. Yeah, but it's it's, I'm it's with true. I'm with you. It's true though that people. And I've learned this uh, now that I've gotten back into this, that, uh, you know, it's it's just a great part of their lives. Uh, it, many of them grew yeah. up with it. And it's just to them, it just brings them great joy And to see these guys. And, and it's I think it works just as much on the other side. I think the guys, those superstars and, uh, you know, to have to have, know that people remember them and that they were such a big part of their lives. uh it gives them, it, you know, they get it back just as much, and it's just it's fun to it's really fun to see uh, when when the they have these events, uh, the uh, sure. the, the crowd, and also the guys that uh, you know used to be the top of their game, and now, like you said, they're good once a That's month. That's right. As, uh, Keith says, "That's was, right. Uh, That's
0: right." And you,
2: I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm I'm good once as I ever was. <laughs> Something like that. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I, I I. uh, I want to share two things with you. I'll never forget when we were really red hot. I mean, red hot. I mean, we're, we were, we were, the women were jerking our clothes off here and there and everywhere. We mm-hmm. were driving and we were sleeping in the car and Chabar woke us up and Chabar Guerrero Sr. Mm-hmm. woke us up and he started speaking in Spanish and he said, do you know what? I just said, to you? And we said, no. He said, one day, fantastics. The dogs won't even want to play with you. Enjoy everything you get now because there'll come a day when the lights will dim and it'll be over. And he spoke that to us in Spanish. And another thing I want to share with you, if you don't mind, I promoted boxing and a guy who had, who had, who had, uh, who had uh, fought with Rocky Marciano came to one of my boxing events and he was uh, about 80 years old. I think he was something like that. And he could barely walk and he was real frail. And if we, if we could, sh- if I could show you, it'd be better, but I want to try to describe it. So, kick in everything you can mentally to think about this frail man. He says, "Can I get in that boxing ring?" And yeah. I said, "Sure, if you, yes, you can." So as he's walking up the steps, he's stooped, his knees and legs aren't sure, and he has a shake about him.
1: Mm-hmm. And he
0: takes one step, and I'm thinking, Sean, I hope he don't fall. Nah. Two steps. Three steps. He finally gets to the apron. Sean, and he's bent over, and he grabs that rope, and he steps through as a frail old man, bent over, can barely walk. And as soon as both feet get inside the ring, he stands straight, assumes a boxer position. Then he starts moving back and forth as he's in a match, ducking and throwing punches and me and seven other guys got to witness this in this arena. And I'm watching this magic take place of this frail old man who stepped back through those ropes back in time. And he did that for about a minute or two. He got his way back to the ropes. And when he stepped back through, he was back to being a frail old man, barely able to get back down the steps but for that minute or two, whatever power there was, Sean, yeah. that man had it and magic that he was floating. It was magical to see a bent over man in his 80s that could barely walk, stand straight up, stand like a boxer and start throwing punches and ducking and weaving and moving. And it was unbelievable. And it's that same type of magic. You ask me how we can do what we do. It's that same type of magic. It's something within you. And we all have it. We just have to sometimes reach down and get that.
2: Yeah. Well, I think with you, Bobby, I uh, and, the, and you mentioned those uh, words of wisdom from uh, Chavo Guerrero Sr., but I don't think you ever forgot yeah. it. And I, I think that that's what's no, no, really no. awesome about you. Well,
0: you, you know, the thing of it is, I tell all the kids here in Chillicothe, Ohio, there's nothing you cannot and i told you this earlier and this is what i want to tell everybody for the rest of their life i i I had a comic book come out recently and in that comic book it's my little league ball coach because he told me sean he seen me a couple years ago and he said i'll never forget i asked you when you were nine years old on my little league ball team i said what do you want to be when you grow up and you said i want to be a professional wrestler i want to travel the world i I want to be i want to get a chance and opportunity And he said, I told every kid once I seen you on that national television that that guy right there had a dream and he succeeded. And if he had that dream and succeeded, you can do the same thing.
1: Mm. And
0: I just want that put back in the hope of these kids that hear so much bad stuff that there's good things that can happen for you, no matter who you are where you are, what you are. You can do it, but it takes – Sean, it's just like you in, in your career. If you didn't have the passion, where would you be? Yeah. It's passion. It's passion.
2: Well, and also, you know, they uh, you got to work. And I, I know you, you worked your ass yeah. off uh, along the way. but uh, Thanks uh i think you know today uh, you know and i i i i know there are exceptions but i think that we kind of have this uh you know things get a little tough and and people just uh it's too hard and uh you know yes. one thing about every guest uh, that i've had on on this podcast they're they're such inspirational stories and it's beyond professional wrestling I, and it took you know as right. as, I, as i started doing these and i was saying man you know Sure. It's about professional wrestling and everybody loves to hear the, the stories, but I hope the one message that really comes through is just how these people are so passionate about what they did. They, they entered a business that has got to be one of the toughest in the world. There's no, there's very few other, uh, things I can think of to, to that you can succeed in without just not taking no for an answer ever, ever, uh, getting up when mm-hmm. you're going to get knocked down a hundred times and, uh, Every one of them is an inspirational story. And I hope that besides hearing great stories about a wonderful industry, they also, when they're done listening, they're inspired that, hey, you know what? That guy came from nothing. And people everywhere he went, they said, what, are you crazy? You can't be a professional wrestler. Can you imagine the first time (laughs) you tell most people that I'm going to be a professional wrestler, the look you get? And even people who love you, (laughs) you they're going to say, oh, yeah. That's, that's awesome. But you know what? I'm, i you know, and, uh, so that's, what's been really wonderful about this whole journey. And, uh, you know, you're certainly no exception. You're like somebody who said, no, this, there's no other option for me. There's no, there's no fail here. <laughs> and yeah, I wish friends. more people got exactly. that message kids today. And that, and I will have more, more hope in, uh, in, in the future because uh, that's, that's yeah, what you need. And, and there is opportunity yeah, out sure. there. It's out there. It's still out there you just got to be willing to work for it
0: that's exactly right all these guys that's that's wrestling on the and like you said it's just not to do i tell people if, if you want to if, if it's a wrestler if it's a football player if it's a mechanic mm-hmm. if it's a whatever if you have the passion then go for it do it and if you do it you do it to the best of your ability and when you feel like quitting that that's enough that is' it's not enough because I taught my son this, Jaron, and I'll just say this real quick, if you don't mind, Sean. My son, Jaron, just talked talk to me last night. He had won all county and all conference team in basketball in North Carolina. And he told me, he said, Dad, in freshman, I didn't even get to play. He mm-hmm. said, But I went and I told him, Sean, I said, Son, if you'll go two hours before practice and two hours after practice, then you'll get better. Then you'll get better. And, Sean, I'm going to tell you something. He worked diligently two hours before, two hours after. He ate, drank, and slept it. And he uses that to tell people that, hey, it wasn't something natural for me. I had to work for, but I got it. Mm -hmm. And I commend him because, listen, I told him, you go two hours before. Now, he could have said, well, forget that, Dad. Or you go two hours after. I ain't going to do that, Dad. But Mm -hmm. he did it. Not only did he hear it, but then he done it. And that's what we have to do is fulfill what, you know, what's set before us. We have to be willing to reach across the table to get it instead of saying, could you hand that to me? Yeah. And that is part of it. You know, I'll never forget being in Louisiana. And and the referee, Jerry Usher, said, you ain't never going to make it. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? He said, you're too, you're too nice of a guy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it just kind of crushed me, but I just thought, you know, he just said, uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of people don't realize wrestling is a dog eat dog business, Ooh, It's yeah. shark business. And it's tough, man. You get ate up and spit out. But the thing of it is, it's like you said, if you persevere and if you have the passion, then there's nothing, nothing that you cannot do. And I'm, and I mean that to everybody. And I like what you said, that that's hope. What that's what people gets out of this, not just about the professional wrestling and the stories and the behind the scenes and the stuff that went on. But it's the idea that if you've got the passion to succeed, you can do it. Don't wait for someone to give it to you. Get hungry enough to reach out and get it and then fight for it, and it'll be well worth it at the end. I can attest to that at 58 years old and very thankful for everything that God's blessed me with.
2: Yeah. And you, you sure have had a, a great run a lot ahead and uh, tell me about what you're, you're doing with, uh, I know you got uh, an organization and then also you, you just mentioned this great event. I, I was, when you're telling me about it, I'm like thinking, boy, I would have loved to have been there. You got all these guys yeah, but, yeah, uh, raising money for uh, charity and what else you got going on?
0: Yeah, we're doing stuff like that. We're working a lot with, uh, with, uh, schools and things, and we're trying to get back to the community. I mean, uh, we're, we're trying to get a message out to these kids, not to choose drugs, but to choose something else in life. I mean, it's an epidemic everywhere, Sean, and we're, we're, we're trying to do that. We're raising it like, like, like this past Saturday night was for the baseball team. I figure like this, if we can help a baseball team raise money, get some kids off the streets and gives yeah. them something good to do, get them around some good people, teach them some work ethic as far as showing up, being uh, punctual about showing up a practice. Not only that, but getting in that game and working hard, and I'm doing stuff like that. And, of course, like I seen you down at the WrestleCade event and uh, the, other, the other event that I was with you with, New Orleans, we're doing things like that. And just, just uh, trying to still be, uh, to produce good things in this life. Not have a sad story, but have a blessed story that, yes, you can. And I'm thankful that I am able to. You know, I have
2: to chuckle thinking back though when we first met, and uh, I, I I think you're gonna remember, but it was kind of a, a crazy trip. But I can't remember uh, exactly where you uh, came along in the legs of this thing. And we started like in New Jersey, and we went to Staten Island, and um, yes, and, and then and then Allentown, and it was uh, just I it was kind of surreal. And I remember all of us yes. sitting around a table having breakfast. I think the next morning <laughs> with Wendy Richter. Yeah, you're right. And, and right uh, Brutus, Brutus Beefcake yes. was there, and it was uh, it was just it was a crazy trip. But I was really glad that I got a chance to meet you.
0: <laughs> yes, sir. Me too. And like I said, uh, uh, you've contributed tremendously to professional wrestling. I'm glad you're doing your program that you're doing now, and your success. And I met your son. Uh, I think, and yeah. uh, I think it was in New Orleans. Uh, was it New Orleans that I? I can't remember exactly.
2: WrestleMania last year. I think it was
0: at that, at that particular time in New Orleans, I had double pneumonia and I just uh, felt so lousy. But like I said, uh, I'm still uh, still uh, uh, just thankful that I can get in the ring and roll around. And I can. And at 58, that's, that's special. (laughs) Like you said about Jim Duggan, that makes me chuckle about getting a ramp and, Maybe one day they'll just put roller skates on us and just give us a good shove <laughs> right. and
2: roll cheer. you in. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you'll still show up. You're not gonna miss a spot. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Bobby, it's been awesome talking with you. And like I said, you you uh, never lost your passion along the way and, and I, I, I love talking to you because I know you enjoyed every single minute of it and and still have it today. You still have that passion and and your optimism for the future. So it's it's really been fantastic. And uh, I mean that. <laughs> Talking. No to you. pun intended. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you, sir, so much. And listen, I am I am truly blessed to be a part of your program and to have been asked. You don't know what a what how what that that just makes me feel so good to be thought enough to be asked to be on your program. Thank you, sir, so much. Thank you, and,
2: and we will uh, we'll see each
0: other down the road. Yes, sir. Sounds great. God bless.